Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit here, my good friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, hit the subscribe button yourself. How you doing? Andy, another week. I can't put what are we going into week six of the NFL season? Week six. And you know what happens for me is because we we watch week five film going into week six. And then for some of the stuff, and, and I don't know if it's like this ever on your matchup show, but for some of the stuff we do at 30-13, you almost have to jump into week seven a little bit this week to get ahead and get it ready by Monday. So I've got week five, six, and seven all going, and there are times in the season I don't know which one's which. Well, you know, sometimes I feel that I don't know which end is up after, you know, watching tape all the time. And I always feel, as I know you feel the same way, that there's just not enough hours in the day to watch everything you want to watch. And because you yeah. always feel like you're missing something when you, you don't see something and then you go, oh, God, I wish I'd been able to do that. But, you know, you and I were only one person, and so, you know, and that's all we can do. There was one year that I saw 236 games. I counted some on TV and I, I got done with the last piece, you know, last piece of film, walking the dogs with my wife. I said, I saw 236 games this year. And the first thing she said was, so you missed 20 games? And and I think she kind of nailed that, don't you think? Yeah, that because that's how it feels. You missed yeah, miss yeah. twenty games. Yeah. So all right. So my my research extraordinaire Cody Schwartz sent us some talking points, and I asked him to do that because he's so good at finding some of these angles to this. And one of these I sent this to you, Greg. I'm reading it now. This this one I thought was fascinating because we could talk about in a lot of different directions, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. So he asked if you had to pick between Purdy, Tua, so Brock Purdy. To attack of Iloa or CJ Stroud within the context of their offenses. And we know they're all running a very similar system, that 49er Shanahan system. Which, you know, how are we ranking those three guys if 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 we're ranking them within the offense that they're currently leading right now? It's a fascinating question. And and let because we want to talk ball as opposed to just making a list. Let let's Let's work around that as opposed to just saying, here's one, here's two, here's three. Because, yeah. you know, I think that that's, you know, anybody I think can do that. Let's try to put that in a larger context. So, as you said, there's there's elements of the Kyle Shanahan system in all, obviously, the 49ers is the, the Kyle Shanahan system. And there's clearly defined elements of that system in what Mike McDaniel does and what Slowick does. Um they each tweak it a little bit, so it's probably not exact, as you well know, but it's essentially the methodology, a lot of the concepts and principles will be similar. Um, and I'm sure the verbiage is very similar. I mean, I don't know. The, the verbiage, verbiage will be similar, detail. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes. They're, they're, so, they're going to okay. order hamburger with the same language. You know, one's not doing it in French and one's not doing it in Spanish. They're going to order it the same way. Okay. <clears throat> so we have that established. Continue. Yeah. So, so. You know, the, the Purdy conversation has been going off the charts lately, and, and the Tua in some ways as well. Stroud has not played enough games other than the fact that there's very little not to like about what he's put on tape, but he hasn't played enough games to really make a, a, a true assessment um, of him. Other than one thing which I think is hard to teach, and I think you would agree, is he does see things very clearly. And I think one reason why a lot of quarterbacks don't succeed in this league, even if they're quote-unquote gifted in terms of what we call physical traits, is that they just don't see things as clearly as they need to. Don't forget, you don't have a lot of time when you, you, know, when you take that snap. 
You don't even have a lot of time when you're studying the defense until you take the snap. You know, and one one phrase I've used over the years, which I think makes sense, is when you're slow mentally, you tend to play fast physically because your clock goes off quicker because you know you don't have time. And if you drop back and you're not seeing it the way you're supposed to, your clock goes off and you start playing fast physically. So slow yeah. mentally leads to fast physically. But here's what I'll say. Let's start with Purdy. People can say what they want about the system. It's the job of a coach to put in a really well-schemed, well-designed system that attacks and breaks down defenses. Okay, that's the job of the coach. Um, you start with your approach to offense. You know this. You know, you work for the Rams. And, and I think Sean McVay is one of the best, by the way. And, and you would know that. You were there. Um, so you put in your system that you feel is to use a cliche, but it's true, that's quarterback friendly. In other words, that allows the quarterback within the context of what you're doing to see the route concepts, the combinations, and the reads, however you teach the reads, and different quarterbacks teach reads differently, as you know, but you're putting that in so that's clean, so that they're not struggling in how to go about processing what you're being taught. And then you obviously have to, you know, work with defense. Now, different coaches feel differently about how you teach defense. You and I both know that you're never asking a quarterback to read six or seven players. It's not humanly possible. That's not the way it's coached. You know, you coach it based on your route concepts, your combinations, and what a specific concept requires you to do with the defense. You know, so you- 100%, 100%. And I to right. kind of paint a, a picture of it for our, our, our viewers and listeners here. The first time I had a, an extended conversation with Kyle Shanahan, we sat in his office. He's got a yeah. big whiteboard, one wall's all whiteboard. He went up and, you know, he, he draws a, I think I've said this, he draws the formations as fast as a person writes their name. It's unbelievable how quickly he gets the 11 shapes on the board. But we spent the entire conversation talking about the weak side linebacker. And he was teaching me some of the basic concepts of, of uh, their, it was their sticks concept. I mean, it was not a complicated route or anything. Right. Uh, but it was all, he taught it all through the prism of one guy on the defense. And that's how he taught the quarterback to read it. And there was this way and this way and this way. And he does that. And it was all through the weak side linebacker in that example. Look, I remember, you may remember this, when Ray Rhodes became the coach of the Eagles, which was back in 96 or 97, I got an opportunity because they came to NFL Films. This is when I first met Sean Payton, John Gruden, and Bill Callahan. They came to NFL Films. And I remember, you know, I wouldn't say I know Sean Payton well, but, you know, we've talked at times over the years. And I remember him telling me, because I asked him, I said, you know, what's the thought process with teaching quarterbacks? And he says, it starts really with three basic things. He said, is the middle open or is the middle closed? And what are my blitz alerts? After that, everything is is kind of not superfluous. It's not like you don't have to know anything else. But quarterbacks are not reading what people probably think they're reading. You know, yeah. it's just... It's just you can't do that. It's the you know, there's too much. You, you know, you can't ask a quarterback to have to look at all these defenders. You know, if, if they're if, if let's say the read is tri- is three by one and the read is to the trip side, the three receiver side, you know, what the corner's doing on the single receiver side is not really relevant to what you're doing. You, you know, you don't need to know that. You know, yeah. it, that's just cluttering your mind with useless information. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Let's take a specific concept, okay? Let's take the flood concept, the three-level stretch, where um, you have a vertical route, which is normally on the outside. 
You've got an intermediate route, which normally breaks to the sideline, and you've got a flat route. Okay. Now, 99.9% of the time, the vertical route is a clear out route. And you're working the, you're basically working a high low with the intermediate route and the flat route, and you're working off the flat defender. That's your read. If the flat defender sinks with great depth and you feel like you can't throw the intermediate route, you throw it to the flat. If the flat defender really attacks the flat because he's the flat defender, you throw the intermediate route. I mean, the quarterback doesn't have to read five guys. You can't do that. So, you know, good offense is kind of taught that way. But anyway, let's get back to Purdy because it's important that we deal in specific players and and teams as opposed to just general principles. Um, That offense, as you well know, has a lot of nuance and detail to it because it has a ton of motion. It has a ton of formation variation. They have five players. They play a ton of 21 personnel, which in and of itself is fascinating and presents problems for defenses, as you know. But they play with 21 personnel, meaning they have two backs because use check plays probably 45% of their offensive snaps. And all five players can line up anywhere in the formation, in any location within the formation. So there's a lot of detail within this offense. Purdy has to understand all that. You know, he has to understand not only that, but how that might affect the defense they're playing that specific week because different defenses react differently to different formations and to different motions. So you can say what you want about Purdy. Yes, he doesn't have a hose. Although I got to tell you, I think on tape this year, the ball's coming out a lot better. You know, it comes out clean and it comes out with a little more juice. But that's an aside for the moment. But the point I'm making is, what's the job then of the quarterback? The, the job of the quarterback becomes to execute what he's asked to execute based on all these factors at the highest level possible, right? Isn't that what coaches expect? You know, you know Sean McVay probably works 18 hours a day. You know Kyle Shanahan probably works 18 hours a day. These guys work, and they they want their quarterback and expect their quarterback to execute the offense the way it's it's structured and planned. Now, they understand there'll be some plays in a game where it doesn't happen like that. But, you know, if, if it's all done right, it's going to happen like that more often than not. That's what they expect the quarterback to do. You, anybody can yeah. say what they want about Brock Purdy. He does that at a very high level. That's, you know, and you can say, well, he's only started X number of games. Yes, that's what he started. But you know what? In those X number of games, he's executed a highly detailed, sophisticated offense at an extremely high level, snap after snap, week after week. Yeah, and I think a lot of that system just comes down to the trust that you have in the offense, which you can't trust what you don't fully understand. So Correct. And and we see this with Tua as well, and we'll get to kind of what's a little different with them. But yeah. You know, those between the numbers, throws the, the Dolphins offense and Niners offense, they beat you outside with the run and inside with the pass. And it's very difficult to defend both of those things together. And that's kind of the nature of the offense from snap to snap. That's those a great inside, point, by the way. Those inside throws take a, a high level of anticipation, throwing to a spot, throwing on time. And I think what Purdy has done really well is when that first, you know, Tua is great when that first throw is there. He's as good as anyone on those anticipation ah. timing rhythm throws i feel like purdy uh, if he has to get to those second and third throws almost maintains the same level of timing and anticipation later into the progression and that's where he kind of separates himself at least in that one sense of running the offense i think that's a great point 
And, you know, but I think that the ability to throw with that kind of anticipation is not something to be looked at lightly. I mean, that comes from from a, a real intuitive understanding of your own offense and your defense and opposing defenses that you're facing. I mean, um, did you happen to see the 49ers tape this week? I did. I watched it last night. Yeah. Good. So then do you remember the 42-yard play he hit to Samuel, which was the first the yeah, first uh, was, on the, the first the, possession of the third quarter? The dagger concept. I paused the screen. I, the person in the room with me, I said, look at this, because this receiver's not even hardly in the end zone shot yet when the ball's soaring through the middle of the field. But, but the reason I wanted to mention that, because this is not so easy, and people may think it's easy, but the Cowboys started with a single high safety look. Um, and, and that doesn't mean daggers not available if it's single high, but they started with a single high safety look. And at the snap, they rotated the, the, um, safety opposite dagger. He dropped and it became, it ultimately became cover two. But the point is they started with a single high safety look. And as Purdy, who was in the gun on this particular play, as he's taking the snap, there's safety rotation. So he has to see this process, this, and think, okay, what does that tell me? And then I'm sure he saw Van Der Esch run down the seam with the inside vertical. I forget who it was, but we run down Jennings. the seam with the inside. What, what's that? I think it's Jawan Jennings. Was it Jennings? Yeah. Yeah. So he sees uh, Van Der Esch run down the seam with the inside vertical, which is, you know, tells him it is cover two. Um, so he, he sees two things right away. He sees the safety sync to become split safety and he sees van der Esch strut now he's he's seeing this fast way faster than i'm saying it of and, course yeah, because he would have been yeah. sacked at the beginning of your sentence if he wasn't of course of course yeah. and then he knows immediately he's got dagger he knows immediately yeah and and, well, and it, i it, i did the same thing you did but i was and i think i called in my guys you know the matchup guys that we all work together and said look at this look at and i stopped it just as he started to separate his hands and if you weren't, if you didn't understand route concepts, if I just called in like a fan, he would have no idea who he was throwing the ball to. Yeah, no idea. What was because so I think Samuel had just maybe started his break. Maybe. What was so impressive on that too? Because there's there's a diff- you don't hear it delineated a lot, but there's a difference between cover two and Tampa two, and in cover two, that middle linebacker right. is going to sit in the middle. Tampa two, he's going to run if someone's running down the middle and you're, he's going to run with that route. That's a huge difference on the dagger because you need that middle linebacker to clear out of there. You need the, the inside route of the dagger. Dagger inside guy goes vertical. Samuel, in this case, runs the dig right under it. You've got to make sure Van Der Esch is going vertical with that. Uh, otherwise, you got to layer the ball up and over him. So, well, And that's the other thing. Single high to split safety plus almost like another single high element where you're reading the Mike Backer underneath the split safety. And you have to feel mighty comfortable when he delivered that ball and started his delivery that Van Der Esch was not going to pass Jennings' vertical route to the safety, to that side, and all of a sudden stop and be right there. So <clears throat> that's film study. That's intuitively understanding. You know, And all this is happening in 2.5 seconds, Andy. That's the thing. That's why... You know, when people say, and you've, and we've all heard this, oh, he's a system quarterback. You know, he doesn't have high-level traits. Well, you have to define traits. We tend to think of physical traits. We tend to think of Anthony Richardson. We tend to think of Josh Allen. And and Josh Allen's a great quarterback. I'm not. This is no knock on on those guys. I'm just trying to create an example. Okay, but you know, being able to intuitively see 
<clears throat> what's going on on the field, both in the context of your offense and the route concept and design versus a defense within 2.5 seconds is a trait. And yeah, yeah, a lot absolutely. of people don't talk about that trait. Well, and I think when when the play does break down, so to speak, San Francisco, th- their plays don't break down so much. They just extend, it feels like. But when the play does extend, that's another thing that Purdy, I think, has been very good at. He does play yeah. at a high level on the move, whether it's design boots, which they I don't agree. do as much in San Fran as people would guess. But he can do that. And then extending the play within the structure of the play, I feel like he's been very effective doing that when he has to. And there's a calmness to his game. I mean, the first touchdown he threw to George Kittle last week was a really good example of that. Obviously, you saw the tape where he felt frontside pressure and he he had to step underneath it and, and move out of the pocket to his right. It wasn't so much, even though he threw it on the run, that struck me more as pocket movement as opposed to second reaction. It was very controlled and calculated. Like you said, it didn't feel like it was improvisation as much as just his way of, of kind of moving to be more comfortable throwing the football. All right, so I have a, a, a an either or question for you to kind of shift. Oh boy, to oh boy. Yeah, you love these. We, we, we'll, we'll travel to the bar room, and I'll ask you at the, at the bar. But uh, if you right, let's say you're John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan right now, and someone offers you C.J. Stroud for Purdy straight up, we've seen Stroud ball comes out unbelievably quickly, higher level arm talent, quick processor. Would you make that trade straight up if they offered it to you right now? No, I mean, because obviously Purdy's been successful in my offense, but now let's get into a different conversation. If Stroud ultimately can be like Purdy in the in the mental processing, the elimination and isolation part of the game, Stroud, if you just look at the pure throwing traits, you'd say they're better than Purdy's. Would yes. you agree? Absolutely. Yes. I'd, I'd um, say they're so, much better than Tua, by the way, too. I, not even close on that one. I would agree. But, again, you're dealing with guys that at the NFL level. And, and Stroud, look, he's played five games. And, you know, he's – look, when when Purdy played five games last year, everybody was raving about him. And they should be raving about Stroud. Um, there's nothing not to like about what Stroud's put on tape through five games. Nothing at all. Um, <clears throat> but – you know, so it, it, what you're essentially asking me is is the evaluation of the two quarterbacks. So if Stroud can continue to play at that same mental processing level that he's played at, by the way, on a team that's nowhere near as good as the 49ers overall, obviously, um, and continue to do this, and then you'd, you'd have to say this guy is on his way to being a pretty special player because he does have, quote, unquote, cliche better arm talent than Purdy and as you said better arm talent than Tua Stroud can stand on his back foot and deliver the football you know Tua as you said is as good as there is in the game when he can play with timing and rhythm and hit his back foot and deliver the football and I had a great conversation with a defensive coordinator in the league about Tua who who echoed the same thought but he said if Tua gets later in the down He's nowhere near as good. He can't sit on his back foot and drive the ball. He's not really a second reaction player. He'll make one on occasion. I don't want people to think he never makes a play leaving the pocket, but he's not, that's not really his game. Um, but as, as a timing rhythm guy, he may be unparalleled in the league. Um, but Stroud can sit on his back foot, get later in the down, and deliver the football. His arm just is better. It allows him to do that. Purdy is different. 
Purdy can't necessarily do that. But as you said, Purdy has a, a way of extending plays that even goes beyond what Tua can do. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a it's a fair point for sure. And Stroud, one thing I, I, with Houston's offense, and I haven't, I didn't see their latest game on film. I, I'm updated through the Steeler game. They're not moving the pocket with him as much as I would have thought. It's not a criticism yeah. at all; it's just a style of of play. I would have guessed they would have been doing a lot more of that half field reads, all that stuff. They may get and, to it. As yeah, absolutely. I, th- I wonder, I mean, you know, the Niners don't do that quite as much as we think. The Dolphins aren't big on it either. Maybe it's not as big a part of the offense as, as my mind's eye is telling me. But it feels like with Stroud, they've gotten them comfortable with the quick game a lot. Yeah. But I, I love the point that you made about these teams, that they, they the run game attacks the perimeter. Not every run, but, you know, a lot of the runs. And the pass game works between the numbers. And I'm not sure a lot of people re- realize how difficult those between the numbers throws are. There's a lot of bodies there. So the, the fact that Tua can do it really well, Purdy can do it really well, Stroud showing an affinity for it, that, that to me speaks to higher level quarterbacking traits. That's, you know, I remember I had a great conversation with Kevin O'Connell, who's now the, obviously the head coach of the Vikings. When he first got out of the league, he thought he wanted to get into broadcasting. And he came to our broadcast boot camp and we kind of hit it off. And in fact, when there was a break in the action, it might have been lunchtime one day. He knew what I did. And he said to me, hey, can we go up in your office and watch tape? And we did for about a half hour. And I remember him telling me the story and I'll never forget it. And I've, I've told the story before. He said, you know, I played in a spread offense at San Diego State. The field's wide. I didn't have to make a lot of throws in the middle of the field. He said, I get to the NFL. He was the third round pick in New England. And he said, all of a sudden in the NFL with the hash marks closer and having to throw in the middle of the field, he said, I thought they were 15 defenders out there. You know, those throws are not easy to make. There's, you know, the field's tighter in the middle and there's, you know, they're tough throws. And the fact that Purdy makes them with no problem, obviously Tua makes them really, really well. You know, those are not easy throws. No, and those coaches, I know one thing that they really have to emphasize, the, the Shanahan's, the McVeigh's out there, is teaching the offensive players starts with your quarterback. You mentioned all the motions that the Niners do. They motion 70% of their snaps that leads the NFC. Uh, trust that the motions are going to draw the reactions that they are designed to draw. Because what happens is you look at the defense and it's not the picture you want yet. And you know where you've got to be going with the ball, at least where your progression starts. And you've got a bad picture there. And the idea is, and there's really, there's two parts of the motion they're talking about, the coaches, when they say this. One is our pre-snap motion. Trust that. You'll see that. But then they do a lot with post-snap stuff, whether it's the Niners, it's pulling a guard or sifting a yep. tight end back across the formation. All of those moving pieces are there to make defenders move in certain ways and teaching your quarterback to trust that, that that defender is going to be in a different spot when it's time for you to pull the trigger. You know, that's that's a big process in and of itself as well. And not every quarterback can learn that easily, I'm sure. No, and, and you have to feel as a quarterback that I can make throws. I don't want to say blind. That's not the right word. But to playing off what you said, that you can make throws based on the trust that that defense is going to react the way the coach says and the way you practiced. Uh, and every once in a while, that doesn't happen. And then the quarterback has to move on. And some quarterbacks do that better than others. Some quarterbacks get stuck. Other quarterbacks seamlessly move on, and it looks like they never had an issue at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. All right, let's do a hard pivot to a different quarterback discussion. 
I'm curious to get your reaction. I know you're not going to like the way my my guy Cody Schwartz warded it. Is this a barroom question? Um, it's going to come off that way. Do I need to get my tequila ready? I don't drink, but I'm I'm just you know. Yeah, and I don't drink either. And you and I hang out the combine all together. We're the dullest guys there by eleven. I I think we're the only guys who aren't pounding beers. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, here's what Cody wanted to ask, and and Cody, I think knows that we're going to take this conversation different. I don't think he means this as literally as it's coming across. He says, is there any chance Daniel Jones could be a poor man's Josh Allen if Jones had his own Stefan Diggs? I interpret that question as I hear you sitting here (laughs) soaking it in. I interpret that as where does Daniel Jones' physical traits measure, because you don't hear about a lot on the NFL scale, and then how do you know how does it get applied in the offense that they run there with the Giants? But starting yeah, well, they're not Josh Allen's physical traits. No, of course <clears> one could argue. And again, we're not. We're, this was not a discussion about who's the best quarterback in the league. All I'm going to say is one could argue that that Allen's physical traits are the best in the league. And again, I'm not saying he's the best quarterback. Uh, that's a different conversation altogether. But you could argue his physical traits are the best in the league. Um, Daniel Jones, I think, has very good traits, but I would not put them at the Josh Allen level. Of course Um, not. So I guess would we agree that the Daniel Jones falls on the plus 16 side of it? If we we ranked without question. Okay. Is he plus eight? Without question. Is he plus eight? I think Daniel Jones, believe it or not, and this, you know, obviously because he has not had great success in recent years, and this season has kind of fallen apart a bit for many reasons, um, you know, without having done a deep dive into the Giants' offense, I can't sit here and say, anything beside the obvious that they have such serious offensive line issues that there's just too many dropbacks where he literally has no chance. Um, but I think if you just look at his traits, he's big, he's physical, he's athletic, and he actually throws a beautiful ball. Um, I, I've been struggling to try to figure out in the Brian Dable offense, which I thought when he was in Buffalo with Josh Allen was, was a thing of beauty why it doesn't look that way with the Giants. I don't know the answer to that, Andy. Maybe you have a better feeling for that. But, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like there's a real rhythmic sense to what their offense looks like in the past game. And again, not being there, this is no knock on Brian Dable or Mike Kafka because I just don't know. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't look that way on tape. Now, granted, when, you're, when your O-line is bad and, and quarterbacks are human beings, you start to anticipate pressure. You start to perceive pressure that's that's not there because you expect it to come. And it's really hard to play quarterback that way. Um, and it's just natural that you drop your eyes and you you it's all these things are human nature things that do happen. So it's hard to get a fair reading of Daniel Jones right now. Uh, and it's easy to dismiss him, and I'm sure a lot of people do. But from a traits perspective, he'd absolutely be in the higher half of the league than the lower half. Yeah. You know, one thing with with Buffalo, Allen's traits are so off the charts that I think the play extensions that they get out of there and some of the camouflaging he does when things go less than perfectly, I don't want to say it gets overlooked because we all see it and it's Superman-type stuff, but it's it happens a lot more in that offense than it does in most offenses. It probably happens. I agree. I bet it happens more in their offense than it does in Kansas City's even with Patrick. So Mahomes. here's my question to you then. Do you think that's a Josh Allen thing that he's just going to do that? Or do you think it's because there's truly, you know, in the way the offense is structured that he truly doesn't feel like he has a throw. I mean, which 
because one could argue, I watched 250 dropbacks of Josh Allen this summer from last year. And I came away feeling as, as super gifted as he is, and he certainly can do things other quarterbacks can't. And by the way, he played exceptionally well this past week. I know people probably don't think that until you watch the tape. I don't know if you saw that tape yet. Um, Not yet. But, um, but he certainly does have a tendency because he's so special outside of structure. He absolutely has a tendency, after I came away watching those 250 dropbacks this summer, leaving the pocket early. So the question is, does is, is, is this on him to some degree? Nothing's 100%. Or yeah. in his mind, is something about the structure of the pass game not working in his mind, and he feels like he has to leave? Every time I study an offense, the longer you study it, the more I feel like an offense ultimately takes on the shape of its quarterback and how the quarterback right. plays. So, like, whenever they draft someone, you know, will he fit in this system? That's, we don't know the system because the system is going to ultimately – they're going to tweak it enough to make the quarterback comfortable that it's the quarterback's system. So I would, my, my answer without being in the room there, without sitting down with Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen and going through all that, my answer is it's probably the way Josh Allen plays. And when you're as good I as would he agree. Plays at it, it's really hard for someone, you know, it's his instinct and it's nature to play that way. He has made some unbelievable throws outside the pocket and he, he can change his angle and launch point when he does that. And he can access any part of the field still. But most guys, they leave the pocket. They've now blown off half the reads. They're playing to the side of the field they're on. Yeah, Josh no, Allen still yeah. pretty much has the full field at his disposal when he leaves the pocket. So I think it's the way he plays, if I had to guess. I would say that's probably true. And it's probably not something you want to coach out of him. You maybe you sit down and you talk about it and, you know, you watch the tape and, you know, you, you, you just talk about it, but you're not going to say to Josh Allen, Josh, we don't really want you to leave the pocket. You're not going to say that because, you know, yeah. special plays occur. And look, is Josh Allen ever going to play the position like Drew Brees? No, but one could argue that there haven't been many quarterbacks who play it exactly like Josh Allen, and then you can debate whether you like that or don't like it. That becomes a whole separate debate about one's worldview of quarterbacks. I mean, I know a lot of people that even though Mahomes is is great and there's no argument there, but I know a lot of people that just from stylistic perspective like watching Joe Burrow more than Patrick Mahomes when Joe Burrow is playing you know, at a high level, because it just, whatever their worldview of a quarterback is. And I know a lot of people would say, well, those are old people who, you know, who, who the game has passed them by, you know, you get that a lot, but there's just a lot of, and this is coaches I'm talking about. Yeah, there's a lot of coaches that, you know, like the style of Joe Burrow because they feel like he just plays the game the way it's coached. And that's the way coaches see the game. And I think that's where you get to becoming a special coach is someone like Andy Reid, who has a highly schemed offense, very mechanized, and has I don't know if I don't know if it's seamless because I don't know what he's gone through personally for it, but he has adapted to Patrick Mahomes, and Mahomes has met him halfway, and it's such an yeah. unbelievably great marriage because Mahomes has really evolved. We don't hear about it a lot, but you know his average depth of target goes down. I think he takes what's there a lot more. I think yeah. He, I don't, he does, he'll never probably play completely on schedule because that's not the wiring that he has, but he'll still play within structure, just a little bit off a of schedule within structure. I could and agree. I think, and I think the Chiefs have made that work exceptionally well. And I think one of the things that stands out about Mahomes, and I actually heard Andy Reid speak about this in an interview, and I think it's overlooked with Mahomes, 
is he's an incredibly smart player. He has a tremendous feel for what's going on on the field. And whether that's intuitive, it's a combination of intuitive and study. And, and he just, he just is a very comfortable player who everything that's going on, he, he, he understands and he, he can react to with, with sort of a comfort and a calmness to his game. So, you know, Again, he's the kind of guy you never want to coach out of him his ability to make those kinds of plays, even though there may be times he might leave a throw on the field within structure. But he's so good on the move. I mean, I think one could argue Allen might make more, quote unquote, athletically special plays. But I think Mahomes, when he leaves the pocket, sees the field at a really high level. And I think Mahomes has such uh, he's, his arm is so much more flexible than Allen or anyone's arm. What you said almost are we counting like arm talent as part of athleticism in that statement? Then yes, you would be. So I mean, I would, and I'd have a hard time saying anyone's ahead of Mahomes athletically. Then if we're putting the arm into it and not just going off of the leg, I think that's a great point that. because that's a great point, and I never thought of it that way. You just gave me something else to think about because. You know, Mahomes is obviously not the physical specimen Josh Allen is. I mean, Josh Allen is a big man who moves exceptionally well. But Mahomes' throwing ability, which I think is more natural than Josh's, when he's on the move, that's that's a trait that he he's probably the best in the league at that. Just that, that throwing ability on the move. It looks so simple, so easy. It, it almost looks elegant. And all the different motions and launch points that you yep. can do with it. And have you ever, you've been watching football way longer than I have. The closest guy I could think of that I, since I studied the game, and I don't think he's on Mahomes' level for just arm flexibility, but is maybe Aaron Rodgers with, with that quick release. Yeah. Of the snapping. Is there anyone before those guys? Oh, probably not. Because you know what? A lot of guys didn't play like that back when you go back. They did, that wasn't encouraged to play like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Michael Vick, obviously, I mean, Michael Vick had a hose. I mean, people have forgotten. I think a lot of people have just how strong an arm he had. And he obviously got out of the pocket and could, but, but I don't know if he had the same flexibility. He probably yeah, had. View him almost like a Josh Allen, like power thrower in my mind's eye. I was just going to say, I think he, his arm was probably just in pure physical strength, stronger than Mahomes, but I don't think his arm was as flexible as Mahomes. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty special on the Giants thing. So I'm wondering a little bit, you know, the, the Bills, and I know you're not, you, you don't love the Bills skill position set as much as maybe some do, but they've had, I'm looking at their depth chart now. They've had Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis together for a while now, about three or about four years, I think it is. Dawson Knox has been there that long as well. Their core pieces of the pass game, a lot of their offensive line as well, has been there this whole time. The Giants. Right have shuffled through all kinds of different receivers. They've drafted guys. They've signed guys. They're still trying to kind of get it figured out. I don't think they have as much talent in that receiving core. So you'd asked about like kind of the circumstances around Jones and how much of that's a factor. You know, I wonder if that's a bigger, it's not a bigger deal in one offense than another in this case, but the fact that Allen's been in that system with the same guys, as long as he has, I wonder how big a deal that is compared to Jones. I think that's always a factor, Andy. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I think you well, know you develop a comfort level when you practice with the same guys all the time, and they're there year after year. Um, yeah, well, and especially you know, the way Allen plays, where you, if he's going to go off schedule, 
you know, that's a chemistry thing as well. Then, I mean, it's not just everyone running around, you know, guys no, have to learn cool. how to play with that. His blockers have to learn how to block for that. His receivers have to learn. So, and, and Jones is not the same off schedule guy as Allen, but I think no, no. having those guys in Buffalo together, I think it's been a big deal for Josh Allen. Yeah, without question. I don't think there's any question because you make a great point about when, when you leave the pocket, you know, it, it's not just random. It might seem so, but that's a lot of that's coached and, and receivers react a given way depending on how the quarterback moves. You know, if the quarterback moves right, they react a certain way. If he moves left, they react a certain way. If they see him step forward, they react a certain way. Even though he may run on any of those and not throw it, there's still a certain reaction that the receivers have. And that's that's choreographed to some degree. It's not just random guys running around and saying, oh, look at me, I'm open. You know, it doesn't work like that. Um, but, yeah, I think that when you're playing with the same guys, there's a sense of that. Uh, and, and you know, that benefits uh, Josh Allen. You know, and it also raises another point about their skill position players. You know, we know Diggs is a good player. Um, but, you know, is what about the other skilled guys? Are they, you know, are they – exactly what you want or are they just pieces um i think yeah. the o-line to me and, and they addressed it this this year with osiris torrance who's starting at right guard um and a couple of other moves that they made you know is the o-line better than average because i don't think you know it, it's been fashionable to say over these last number of years that buffalo has a ton of offensive talent i don't think the tape told you that but you know maybe others disagree with me I think I think what they have is defined talent. So, like to me, Stefan Diggs, he he can play kind of any receiver style. I think he is a true star. <clears throat> Gabe Davis, you run hot and cold on because he runs hot and cold, but he is a classic X boundary type of body at least. Dawson Knox is kind of a classic looking tight end. Every tight end looks like a classic tight end, but he he fits that. And then the offensive line, the, the two spots that you hear about. If, if you're you know left tackle, Deion Dawkins, good, not great. And good means good. Doesn't mean good, not great. Doesn't mean bad. He's a good right, right. left tackle, in my opinion. And Mitch Morse is a veteran center that I think plays at a high level in both the run and the pass game. So, you know, there's, there's defined players in the right spots. And then the offensive line, it's not a great line, but those two key positions where I'm sure that's a quarterback's comfort comes from the most. They've been very sound in those two expensive key positions all these years. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously they didn't run the ball well at all this past week, and that was a huge problem. And they're, you know, from what you hear, they're trying to make that a bigger part of their offense because, as you know, it's hard. Look, you know, you can look at a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, okay? One thing about the Eagles, and it's no knock on Hurts or any of their skilled players, um, but on both sides of the ball – because their offensive line, I think they have the best offensive line, defensive line units combined in the NFL. So any given game, if it doesn't play out exactly the way they want from a skill position perspective, for whatever reason, they can still dominate up front on both sides of the ball. And that is a wonderful deodorant to have. Um, you know, there's not many teams that can say that. And, you know, I think that, you know, in, in some ways, the Niners are somewhat similar. I don't think their O-line overall is as good as the Eagles, but certainly they have a D-line that's really good with a lot of depth, and they've got the best linebacker in the game in Warner. And, and because he's on the same team with Warner, an overlooked linebacker in Dre Greenlaw, who's very, very good as well. Um, but, you know, I think that when you have what the Eagles have, you know, if Jalen Hurts is not at the top of his game for whatever reason, they can still win. You know, the Bills 
to me, are very much a team built on Josh Allen has to be great. And, and if he's not great, you know, it may not work out, you know, and it, that we may, that could maybe tested even more now with the fact that Tredavious White and Matt Milano are not there on defense. And I thought Milano was a top five linebacker in this league without question. Yeah. That, that's a hard loss for them. They, they, Tredavious White's a great corner. They've gotten by with, with him gone before, you know, Milano's a little different. They got rid of Edmonds and get rid, but they let Edmonds go get paid somewhere else this offseason. That's a, I'd be interested to see how things look defensively without him. Cause I, I, I agree with you. I think he's a, he's kind of a glue piece for them and a lot of, I would agree. Yeah, that'll be different. Um, All right. So I, you know, again, it, so my, my overriding point is it's, it's hard to win or let's put it this way. It's hard to be great every week when you can only play one way to be great. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yes, I would say it's a fair statement. Yeah. And I think the Bills on offense can only win, you know, until it's proven otherwise, they can only win one way and be great one way on offense, and that is Josh Allen being great. And it's hard to be great for 17 games. Yeah. Very good. All right, Greg, we've touched on a lot of QBs. Let's uh, let's get back to watching film, and I'll let you go. But uh, unless there's anything That was a fun conversation, we... yeah. I love the Stroud to a uh, Purdy conversation because the offenses obviously have similar similar methodology and verbiage. And, and you know, your two is obviously the most experienced. It's going to be fun watching Purdy, who I think has really taken a step up this year. Uh, he's a fun guy to watch now. I mean, he's so efficient, and we know what Tua is in the context of that offense. And I really enjoyed watching Stroud through his first five games. He's he he, he just looks like he belongs. Yeah, I, I and I think Purdy's looked awesome. That question I posed—if you take Stroud for Purdy straight up right now—I think I'd have a hard time. I know I didn't answer that, but you know, to me, that's a that's a hard question to answer. You know, yeah. I mean, I think you have to discuss the players as opposed to just making it a list. Yeah, good problems to have. All good quarterbacks. How do we yep. use them right there? For Greg Cosell and Andy Benoit, this is Behind the Screen. Hit that subscribe button. Thank you for listening.